You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Dearest Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come together. I know there was a bit of confusion and a little bit of stress, um, but we're here now and we pray for those that are still on their way that you can direct them to this room. We pray that as we continue to talk about the beautiful mind that you've created, we pray that you may open our hearts um, to receive any personal convictions of the things that we need to change in our own lives, as well as give us wisdom of what we can change in our homes, in our churches, and in this world at large, God. So please be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if some of you joined yesterday, I did a brief introduction into our series, The Great Mind Controversy, and yesterday specifically honing in on knowing the time. So I'm going to do a brief review, but then jump into today's topic. Um, so the theme verse um, for this entire uh, Michigan camp meeting is Romans 13, 11, right? And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And we talked about how often when we talk about that knowing the time, we focus a lot on different signs. And most of the signs we focus on are natural disasters, we think about the mass shootings, but we don't realize the underlying problems to many of these things, which was, we talked about the mental health crisis. And some of those statistics are very, very alarming. Right? and realizing that we too can be a part of those statistics. And then we talked about why the crisis. Does anyone remember why do we have this crisis? The enemy, right? That we are in a great controversy, a fight between God and Satan, and then we are caught in the midst of it, right? That we, as Revelation talked about, that the war started in heaven, but then was transferred here on earth, and we're caught in the middle. And we know that Satan, being a father of all lies, the adversary, his main attack is on the mind, right? And so we talked about why the mental health crisis, the great controversy, as well as it's the signs of the end times. So we talked about he attacks the mind because he knows that if we, he attacks the mind, the body deteriorates, the social elements of our health also deteriorates, and then our spiritual health as well. So he knows that you attack one place and it impacts all of who we are. And then here's a, a verse that we reference in regards to the last days. We think about, again, other types of signs, but the Bible's very clear about the types of people, even in reference when it talks about, oh, in the days of Noah, right? When we think about the days of Noah, we think about the type of lifestyles they were living, right? We are in a mental health crisis. And today's topic is called brainwash. We want to not only talk about the great controversy, but what do you think is the biggest attack that Satan has? We talked about the mind at large, but what, how does he specifically, what's his main strategy? We'll talk about the main strategy as well as talk about God's solutions, right? I often don't like the first seminar, just my personal opinion, because I feel like it's just leaving you all with so much discouragement, right? Here's a mental health crisis. But that's why it's a series, right? God has solutions for us in his word and how to protect our minds from the enemy. So let's talk about Satan's attack on the mind. We know that three main components to who we are as human beings 
are our behaviors, right? What we do, our actions, our thoughts, and our emotions. We'll talk more about this. But specifically, we see that he attacks what we do, behaviors. So this is the part that I like to be interactive. What do you think are some common behaviors that negatively impact our minds? Complaining. Complaining, yes. Worry. Worry, okay. Some of those things are more cognitive. What are things that we do? Gaming. Gaming, okay. What else? What are other negative behaviors? I heard three at the same time. I heard alcohol, television, not enough sleep. Yes, yeah. so not only bad things that we might do, but also the absence of good. What are other things that negatively impact our minds? We're cell phones. We don't want to hear that one, right? Internet, idleness. That's a good one, idleness. What else? Bad nutrition, what was that? Comfort eating, yes. So maybe sometimes it's the absence of good nutrition or also too much, right? It could even be good food, but eating in excess. So some of you've already mentioned some of these things. These, it's not a comprehensive list, but we see some of the things you've mentioned. Poor diet, poor sleep, substance use, gambling, um, shopping as well. Some people don't like to hear that. Shopping addictions went up during COVID. Why do you think that is? Online, but not only online, because it's instant gratification. When I'm feeling bad, what do I do? Add to cart. <laughs> Add to cart. So gambling, shopping, social media, pornography, chronic stress, TV, entertainment, caffeine, refined sugar, right? We don't think about these things when it impacts our minds. What do these behaviors have in common? Any ideas? Any guesses? Addiction, yeah. Addiction yes, definitely. In the back, yes. Okay, they distract you from Jesus. Now think about, we're again talking about Satan's greatest attack. How are these maybe behaviors related to great, his greatest attack? They affect our mind, yes. Specifically, it affects the frontal lobe of our minds. So you might say, well, why is that important? Why is that relevant? Here are some examples, and then we'll come back to why the frontal lobe. Here's a scan of a 38-year-old with 17 years of weekend use. So a lot of times people say, oh, you know, well, just a little bit, it's fine, right? Um, more and more research is actually finding that it's actually very detrimental for the brain. What do you notice about this brain? Does it look healthy? No. Not at all. And what I want to draw your attention to is I want to draw your attention to the frontal lobe. I'm going to show you other brain scans. But alcohol specifically deactivates and can cause atrophy in the frontal lobe of our brains. So we're not just talking about, oh, just don't drink. There's a reason behind these principles. Here's um, a scan. So on the left is a healthy brain. On the right is a marijuana user, which is so sad because what we see, um, this is Satan's scheme in a lot of things, is at one point in time, certain things used to be illegal. Certain things used to be very demonized. And then slowly and gradually over time, it becomes legal and it becomes something that everybody's doing. 
So one point, marijuana, right, was illegal, and you would never expect it to be legalized. And now you see it, and you smell it everywhere we go. So you notice there a lot of atrophy of the brain again. So these substances are not just things that we do, but it has a negative impact. You notice here on the bottom, it talks about um, marijuana use linked to change volume of your brain, shape, and density of gray matter in the brain, which affects what? Decision-making. Decision so we talked about the mental health crisis, but what's underneath that as well is our brains are deteriorating in a way that affects our decisions. So are we going to make good decisions if our brains are not healthy? And ultimately, bigger decisions, like life decisions, decisions of following Christ, right? Here's kind of a, an overview of different brains. So you see one of marijuana use, of smoking, of opiates, cocaine, alcohol, which is kind of also fascinating, just a side comment, is we often think of meth as being a really terrible drug, but you actually notice that other ones that are more normalized, even opiates, can have detrimental effects on the brain. Now we talk about, oh, but well, those are substances. I don't engage in those things. There's also what we call behavioral addictions, things that we do, gambling, shopping, pornography. What do you notice about porn in comparison to a, a brain scan of someone who's on heroin? Is it better or worse? Worse. worse. You would never expect that. I would expect, oh, heroin, a drug, something that I ingest. But pornography, something that I just simply do? But addiction is addiction. And addiction has a negative impact on our brains, especially you notice with pornography, there's this big gap in our frontal lobe. It impacts our frontal lobe. There's atrophy, shrinkage of the brain in that lobe. Now sugar, now this might be a little bit of a softer spot for some of us, right? We say, well, I don't eat meat, but then we might struggle with our sugar. Sugar as well impacts our brain. Now this is not a brain scan of um, what we were just seeing with density of the brain or volume. This is in relation to function and it's looking at um, the, where, where the sugar, when we're eating sugar, ingesting sugar, um, highlights what areas of the brain. So what do you notice about cocaine, and then the chronic sugar intake. It's very similar, right? And when it says sugar intake eventually blunts dopamine release, dopamine is really responsible for concentration, attention, focus, good decision making. So we're seeing these themes, and I'm not going to cover every single behavior that we can struggle with, but you notice that there's these themes that Satan is attacking the frontal lobe. So the question is why? Why is he attacking the frontal lobe? And how we could understand why is by talking about, well, what's the frontal lobe's function? Anyone know? What is the frontal lobe responsible for? Decisions. decisions. Yes, decision making. I kind of prompted you for that. What else? All executive functions, which means what? Reason. Planning. So essentially, it's like the CEO of our brain. Can a company survive or even thrive with a poor CEO? No, right? It's the CEO of our brain responsible for planning, good decisions, uh, reasoning, logical decisions. It's how we communicate with God. So here's some functions. It's the control center of the brain. Um, it's important for attention, for decision-making, planning, many of these things you've already highlighted. 
Another very interesting thing that we forget about in regards to the frontal lobe, it's important for regulating our emotions. So I used to work in a cognitive rehab center, and we could tell when somebody had a frontal lobe um, problem or injury. And we could tell because we'd walk into the room, and they would start engaging in a lot of inappropriate behavior. They'll start saying things, they'll just blurt things out, they'll grab you in different parts, and it's because they're not able to regulate their emotions, they're not able to regulate their impulsivity. Um, so it's kind of like the breaks to our emotions. So I'll, a lot of us in Adventism, oh, emotions are bad. Emotions are not bad, it's when we don't have the frontal lobe in order to know how to manage them. That's why kids are really, really struggling with their emotions today, because their frontal lobes are deactivated. We also see self-awareness and independence, some of our personality as well. Memory, speech, motivation, you notice that there's a long list. But Satan, yes, attacks for these reasons, but one of the most important reasons, it's known as the seat of judgment, of reasoning, of intellect, the will, moral decision-making between right and wrong. It's where we connect with God, as you reference. So of course he would tap. We think, oh, it's just a social media problem. Oh, it's just, you know, I struggle a little bit with shopping. It's a bigger issue, right? This is, that's why we're talking about the great controversy series, great mind controversy, because this is not a simple, I struggle with this sometimes. Satan knows that he's attacking this in a way that will impact our relationship with God. It's referred to, and this is from a secular person, referred to as the crown of the brain, which I thought was very interesting when we think about 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, when it talked about that we, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What that reminds me of is that then the frontal lobe is like the most holy place. That's where we connect with God the most. That's where the Shekinah glory is. And if that's where we connect with God the most and it's deactivated or it's shrunk or whatever, it's, he's attacking it. Can we connect with God even if we try really hard? No, we can't. We also notice when Revelation talks about um, the mark of the beast or also talks about the seal of God, where is it? Our forehead, as well as, you know, when it talks about um, whether on the forehead or on their hands, what we do, right, but also on our forehead. And so we can think about if our frontal lobes are deactivated or weakened, can we make the right decision in the end times? No. We may know the truth, but we may be, our minds may be in a state that cannot act and decide accordingly. Do you see how it becomes a more sobering um, thing to think about when it comes to mental health? So Satan's greatest attack on the mind is the frontal lobe, because he knows that if he attacks the frontal lobe, then he controls the brain, the person, their decisions, and the impact that they can have for, uh, on others as well. So what is God's solution, right? God has many solutions. So most of us, we kind of act like this. So I like this comment, it says, what if we don't change at all and something magical just happens, right? That's kind of what we do in our day-to-day. -day. We're just like, oh, you know, January 1, I'm gonna start exercising again. We just hope that somehow, someday, it'll just change. And so for, you know, in the world, it's kind of like, oh, just magic, something will happen. And then with us, sometimes in the church context, we should just pray. Now, I want to be very careful here. Prayer is powerful. 
right? But when we say just pray, it's often in the context of it's something so simple that we just need to pray it away, right? There's more than just prayer, but prayer, and we'll talk about with a deep connection with God. So what do we do instead? We don't just hope that it'll go away. There's a solution. How many here, show of hands, have heard of cognitive behavior therapy? This is wonderful. Every time I do a seminar, it seems like there's more and more hands, right? We're being more and more educated. Cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the leading and most effective worldwide treatments. And for a host of different things, depression, anxiety, insomnia, OCD, and so forth. And there's different waves, meaning different forms for different problems. There's DBT, CPT, ACT. Um, but basically, the essence of cognitive behavioral therapy is what we see here on the right. Again, the three main components, behaviors, thoughts, and emotions. And they're all linked. So I'm going to give you an example. But before I do, this is very biblical. So in Ephesians 4.22, it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. That's like behaviors, right? Change your behaviors, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, emotions, to be made new in the attitude of our minds, our thoughts. God recognized that these three are connected, that they're integrated. And so he gives us different solutions of what behaviors we can change. He'll talk about in his word, and this is actually the, the part that's focused the most upon in his word, how to change our thoughts, as well as how to manage our emotions. And we'll cover some of those aspects in the following um, sessions. So here's, I'm gonna work through an example together. So David and Jack both received poor grades on a math test. Now, what do you think, well, let's start with Jack. He has the thought, I'm so stupid. If I was smart like Michael, I would have passed. So that's a thought. What do you, how do you think he felt if he had this thought? Hopeless, right? Discouraged, depressed. So a thought leads to an emotion. Now an emotion will lead to a behavior. How do you think this impacted his behavior? <laughs> he went to eat some ice cream, <laughs> maybe. What else? Do you think he was encouraged and motivated to keep on studying? No. Jack decides to stop studying for the next test. Since I'm stupid, I'm going to fail. What's the point, right? Why even try? He has this thought, creating a negative belief about himself as a whole and leading to further depression. Our thoughts, our emotions, and our behaviors are all linked. Now, you notice it's the same situation, but David will have a different response. And this is the power that we have to change our responses. David has the thought, wow, I definitely underestimated that test. You notice it's not an overly positive thought to say, oh, it's fine, it's fine, we do that often. No. He's like, wow, I, I underestimated that test. I should have studied harder. How do you think he felt? What was that? He was disappointed, but confident about his next test. And unlike Jack, he decides to study for his next test. So the power of our thoughts, which then lead to emotions and better behavior. So that's an example of cognitive behavioral therapy. And the goal of CBT is to teach us that while we cannot control every aspect of our world, we can take control of how we interpret and deal with what happens in our environment. Many of us kind of just act as if there's no control, right? Oh, something happened to me. Oh, you know, well, my, my father dealt with addiction. We have control. And that's what's so beautiful about God. God is a God of choice. He gives us opportunities to make changes in our lives. 
So we're going to use a CBT approach. And I love this verse. We, we often just reference James 4, 7, but in relation to verse 8 as well. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil. We're talking about how we want to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Amen. Let's close right there, right? But there's an element of our part. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, cleanse your hands, it's meaning there are actions to take, behaviors that we can change. And we'll address the thoughts and emotions in a, in a later session. But what can we do to cleanse our hands, change these behaviors? Because many of them, if you don't struggle with them, you might say, oh yeah, you know, somebody comes to me, just change them. But if you have struggled, you realize it's really hard, right? It's really hard if you have an addiction to just stop. And so my hope is that as we go through these steps, that you yourself, if you're struggling with any sort of behavior, that you can implement these steps. And or if you know someone who's struggling, you don't just say, pray it away or, you know, uh, good luck or just stop. But instead, you can share these steps with them as well. Now, with behaviors, most times you see this image, we think that a thought leads to emotion to a behavior, but our behaviors, if we change them, also impact our thoughts and our emotions. And so we're going to talk about why or how our behaviors impact our thoughts and our emotions. So mental health difficulties is a result of too low or too high brain chemicals. Now, sometimes we only make it all about brain chemicals, and that's why there's a lot of drugs, right? A lot of treatments of just only focusing on drugs. But did you know that our behavior impacts our brain chemicals? What? I thought it was only a pill that I take. No, there are things that I can do. And so what are those things? We change our brain chemicals, we can change our mood and overall well-being. So this is a very simplified version, but it's just kind of to show you um, how this looks like. So for example, schizophrenia has too high of dopamine. With anxiety, too low of dopamine. What do you notice about happiness? You have a lot of serotonin, right? A lot of serotonin. Depression, you have both low dopamine and low serotonin. Love, right? God is a God of love. You have a perfect balance of dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. Does anyone know what oxytocin is, is known as? <laughs> yes, that's true. It's known as the love hormone. So if I go and I hug somebody, I get a higher level of oxytocin. Actually, also, when you pet animals, you also have oxytocin. And so love is a perfect combination of dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin as well. Fight or flight with anxiety, you also have high levels, too high of levels, with norepinephrine and epinephrine. So we know that our brain chemicals impact the way that we feel, but we can change them by engaging in different behaviors. So we're going to go through different steps. Step one is we need to start by eliminating or reducing certain unhealthy behaviors. So that's step one. We're going to go through several sub-steps to this. Um, so first off, prevention, right? If you're not already struggling with something, it's really important to be um, really mindful of preventing something. So flee, don't feed, we'll talk about that. And then intervention, we'll talk about these steps as well. So let's start with flee, don't feed. 
this is from Spirit of Prophecy, it says, the first time the temptation comes, meet it in such a decided manner that it will never be repeated. Most times we kind of flirt with something. But if you haven't yet engaged, if you're not um, absorbed in an addiction yet, you want to prevent it by, you know, don't even entertain it. Meet it with such decided manner that it will never return. This also we find in James 1, 14 to 15. It talks about you're tempted, but a temptation is just a temptation. It's not a sin. But what happens when you feed that temptation? It says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So do not flirt with these things. If you know, and that's why, you know, this is from a psychologist's perspective. This is not even coming from a Christian perspective. I tell my clients, don't drink any alcohol. And they say, well, but a little bit's not bad. I say, all the per- persons I've worked with that struggle with addiction, none said, I want to be an addict when I grow up. I want to be an alcoholic. I want to destroy my family. So when God tells us to eliminate, to not even you know, go near it, is because he knows that the moment you open up the door just a little bit, it gives opportunity right, for a problem to arise, an addiction too. So another example I like to use for this, we apply this in regarding uh, spiritual things, but we also need to re- uh, apply it to behaviors. So. If you remember this passage, it talks about if your right eye causes you to sin, what do you do? Tear it out. Why? Is your eye useful? Yes. But if, it says, it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. So this is the concept of if you really want to overcome an addiction, you have to hate it. You have to. You can't be like, well, I want... You have to hate it. You have to hate it so much that you're willing to give things up. So an example, a practical example of this is for some of my clients. Their addiction, their porn addiction is so strong, they get rid of their computer completely. You're like, what? Like, I mean, I have to use my computer, right? I need to use it for work. I need it for this or that. But they know that for themselves, they have to hate that more, the porn addiction more than their love or their computer, or the, even just the love of comfort, right? Or they say, oh, I'm going to put my computer in the middle of the family room, right? Where everyone, it, it's uncomfortable. I'd rather just be, you know, chilling in my room. But you have to hate it. You have to recognize the importance of having freedom more so than trying to keep your eye. Or later on, it talks about your hand as well. So you have to hate it. That's another principle in prevention as well as intervention. If you don't hate the addiction, That's why a lot of people say you have to hit rock bottom in order to change. You know, you don't have to. You really don't. Those who are wise learn from other people, learn from God's word, and they prevent it. So my hope is that no one here hits rock bottom. You read this and you say, God, you leave here and you say, God, I want to hate it more than what I'm struggling with. So intervention also means you have to understand and address the root of it. Many times we just focus on the behavior, but the behavior really is not the problem. There's something underneath it that's feeding it. So why do we struggle with these behaviors? Any ideas? Why do you think we struggle with shopping, gambling, porn, um, you know, different addictions, substance use? It makes me feel good for a while. Yes, it makes us feel good. 
Yes, I, I love that response. We often focus on the negative, but there's a reason why we're doing it, right? Yes. Rejecting the help of the Holy Spirit. Okay, yes. We're turning to something else. And one thing that I like to highlight with patients, we're focusing on something external, right, to make us feel better internally, right? But God's work, the Holy Spirit, is internal, right? I saw a hand in the back, yes. Yes, definitely. There's unmet needs. And so if we just continue but not look at the needs, then we could stop, but we'll keep on going back. So here are some reasons we lack self-control. So I'm going to go through some of these quickly. So lack of self-control. We quote this a lot. Uh, The greatest want of the world is the want of men, men who will not be bought or sold, men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. And this is not just what we want. The world wants this today, right? Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name, men whose conscience is as true to duty as to the needle to the pole, men who will stand for the right though the heavens may fall. Beautiful, right? We end there. But does anyone know how this quote finishes? It tells you how. How do, how do you become this man or woman? It says, but such a character is not the result of accident. It's not, oh, my parents raised me to be, to be a good kid. It's not. It is not due to special favors or endowments of providence. It's not God just, oh, this person is a good person. A noble character is the result of self-discipline, of the subjection of the lower to the higher nature, the surrender of self for the service of love to God and man. So a big component of the addiction of why we're struggling is because we lack self-control. This was mentioned with the pleasure um, comment, easy now, hard later. So I want to go into this briefly. Satan's agenda is so fascinating. We think that he comes to us very obviously, right? With a pitchfork, little horns and a tail. Um, but he doesn't, right? If someone were to come up to me with a cup full of black water and they say, here, drink this, it's poison. Am I going to drink that? No. But if it's this nice, clear water with a drop of poison that I don't even see, right? He's very deceiving. His agenda is easy now, hard later. So let me kind of walk you through these graphs. This is um, a normal brain all the way to the top left um, of dopamine release. So let's say um, I go and I watch a sunset, right? And I get some dopamine. Wonderful. I feel better. So dopamine is kind of like a pleasure hormone. I feel pleasure. Now with, um, with addiction and negative behaviors, what do you notice on the right? You get dopamine, but what happens afterwards? It drops lower than when you started. So this applies to sugar. You can think about when you have a sugar crash, this applies to caffeine, this applies to alcohol, any of Satan's schemes. Why drops lower? Because he knows that, oh, now I feel even worse. What do I do next? I go back to that same substance. And that creates the cycle of addiction. You notice there on the bottom, not only does it drop lower once, but over time it it drops lower and lower and lower and lower. He keeps us addicted to the substance because what he offers is not satisfying. God's agenda is often harder now, easier later. That self-discipline is not easy. But if you train yourself, God promises you reward later. So we lack self-control. 
but it's also because we use these substances or addictions to numb ourselves, to avoid, to escape. You might notice this. Uh, I don't know how many of you here, it's a little bit of an older crowd, use social media, but I know actually the rates of um, online gaming is highest among older uh, women. You know that? Older women who are retired and at home and they're doing their uh, little, uh, I forgot what those gems are, there's like a game. Candy Crush. I hope you know that because a friend struggles with it, right? So when you're stressed, notice, do I turn to social media and start scrolling, right? Or, oh, I, I'm feeling sad. Do I all of a sudden open Candy Crush and start playing? We're using these things to numb ourselves because we haven't been taught how to actually deal with our emotions. And so we use it as an avoidance. I love this quote, it says, a man that flees from his fear may find that he has only taken a shortcut to meet it. And that's very true, because if we continue to avoid it, you know, you may say, oh, there's an elephant in this room, and you're like, I don't want to deal with it. And so you're walking around it, you're bumping into it. Because you're avoiding it, does it mean that it's not there? No, it's there. So we might as well confront it. So we use it as a numbing or avoidance. Also, there are deeper roots. And so we're going to briefly talk about these deeper roots. I love this. It says, uh, we'll look at the picture first. When a person can't find a deep sense of meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. So some of the deeper roots are because you're not fulfilled in your life. If you're saying, I struggle with these things, start doing a self-assessment. How do I... How's my connection with other people? How's my connection with God, right? Just because I'm going to church doesn't mean I have a connection with God, a deep, sincere connection that's filling. Viktor Frankl, he's um, a psychiatrist that survived the concentration camps. He has a book called Man's Search for Meaning, powerful book. And then also on the bottom here, what you lack in vertical awe, you will fill with horizontal addiction, right? Because the only true Fulfillment and satisfaction in life is a connection with God and with our fellow man. And so if we don't have these things, we will naturally turn to addictions. All right, so step two. So step one was eliminating or reducing unhealthy behaviors. Step two, you notice it starts leading from step one to step two, is increasing healthy behaviors. Now, Fill your life with goodness, right? If we were just talking about the deeper roots are because you lack things, you need to fill your life. Most people will try to stop. I have to stop eating sugar. I have to stop eating sugar. But their diet is poor, and so your body's constantly craving sugar. Focus on what you gain rather than what you'll give up. Focus on the why and the who, and we'll come back to this. And then we'll talk about setting goals. All right, so fill your life with goodness. There's a parable, Matthew 12, that talks about a man who has an unclean spirit, leave him, right? It's cast it out. And then what happens? Does anyone know this parable? He returns, this, this demon returns and finds it empty. And what happens? He brings seven other spirits. What does that mean? We read it. What does that mean practically? Yes, I actually use this parable with my secular patients. And I said, there's this principle that if you get rid of something bad, but you never fill it, the problem's going to come back, and it's going to come back worse. That's what Jesus was saying. If you don't fill yourself with God, you could stop something, but it's going to come back, and it's going to come back with a vengeance. So you need to fill your life with goodness as you're getting rid of things. 
How am I filling my life with goodness? You know, this verse, it says, flee also youthful lusts. And we often stop there, but then it says, well, flee, but also pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So don't just flee from something bad, also pursue goodness. What are healthy behaviors that improve our mind and mood? So we're talking about filling, but what do we fill it with? What are some good, healthy behaviors? Exercise, yes. Helping others, volunteer work, definitely. Diet. Reading the Bible, not just reading the Bible, but reading, period. Good material, yes. Goodness, good material. What else? Good music, yes. Sleep, yes. What was that? Hobbies, yes. So here are some examples. Exercise, nutrition, connection, rest. Not just sleep, but rest as well. Music, water, uh, balanced work, being in the outdoors, deep breathing, stress, and hobbies. So you, you might be thinking, stress? Is that a typo? Stress is actually good for us. That's why work is good for us. But we need to have a balance in our stress. So... Second thing, we talked about filling with goodness, but also focus on what you gain versus you give up. Have you seen persons that are like, I'm on a diet, right? I'm like, I, I can't eat that, I'm on a diet. Oh, on Sunday's my cheat day, I could do it Sunday, right? You're focused so much on what you're giving up, right? Focus instead on what you gain. One reason people resist change is because they focus on what they have to give up instead of what they have to gain. This also applies to the spiritual context of if you're trying to witness to somebody, don't just come and say, oh yeah, you need to get rid of your smoking, you need to get rid of this. No, focus on what they'll gain. And the more you focus on the good things, the bad things have lose their grip in our lives. Now this one's a little bit longer quotes, but it's found in Steps to Christ. It says, God does not require us to give up anything that is for our best interest to retain. In all that he does, he has the well-being of his own in view. Would that all who have not chosen Christ might realize that he has something, how much better? Vastly better to offer them than they are seeking for themselves. Man is doing the greatest injury and injustice to his own soul when he thinks and acts contrary to the will of God. No real and lasting joy can be found in the path forbidden by him who knows what is best, and who plans for the good of his creatures. The path of transgression is the path of misery and destruction. God is not a God of rules. God is a God of guidelines because he knows what's vastly better for you. And then I'm going to skip this one, but if you want to just kind of jot it down, if you want to read later, it talks about the difference between recreation or recreation and amusement because some people struggle with doing good things because they feel guilty. And so if you feel guilty because you're like, oh, you know, Christians are supposed to just work, 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 work. God commanded, Jesus commanded his disciples, come and rest a while. There's an importance to recreation. And I often say recreation because that's the idea behind recreation. So focus on what you gain and then focus on the why. Why am I doing it? And the who behind his principles. If you truly know who God is, then it's easier to follow his principles, right? I'm very close with my father. And when he tells me, you know, Katie, you know, I, I recommend that you do this. I don't question him because I know that my father has the best interests 
for me and might. But if you are doubting certain things, I'd ask you to examine your relationship with God. So why has God given us these principles? Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. God cares, and I could put many, many verses up here, but God cares for your well-being. He does. And one thing I just want to comment too, if any of you have children or grandchildren or children that you know that you take care of, make sure that you're portraying some of these principles from a God of love. Because a lot of times we just focus on, oh, pornography is bad. Stop it, right? Oh, social media, I'm going to take away your phone. But dialogue with the kids, right? Help them to see that there's a God that loves them and wants them to prosper. So I'm going to highlight a couple of these behaviors. And there's a lot of research. I could do a seminar on each one individually. But just to see a couple of things. So nutrition, we focus on for our physical health. But 90% of our neurotransmitters, our brain chemicals, are actually found in our gut, not in our brain. That's why they call it the second brain. So what I eat directly impacts how I feel. So let me give you an example. Anyone here eat flaxseed meal? Flaxseed meal has tryptophan in it, which converts to serotonin. It's a natural antidepressant. So when people take antidepressants, it's to increase their serotonin levels. So if you want to increase your serotonin levels, if you, you could Google, what are some foods to increase my serotonin levels? What you'll see is God's original diet. Green leafy vegetables, flax seeds, nuts, grains. So our food directly impacts how we feel. Sleep. Sleep is so important for our mood. You can just do an experiment, don't sleep, and see how irritable you are. <laughs> right? Our sleep impacts our mood. And I also put their rest because some people sleep eight hours or seven hours, but then they're not resting. They're not engaging in rest. Now, I find this fascinating. We often just think, oh, you know, Sabbath. Yep. Kind of part of our tradition. Sabbath is a mental health prescription. Sabbath helps us rest. And now I encourage you, you may be going to church or doing other things on Sabbath, but are you truly resting, right? So sleep and rest. Uh, Spirit of Prophecy, she talks about two hours of good sleep before 12 o'clock is worth more than four hours after 12 o'clock. So it's not only about the number of hours that you sleep, but when you go to sleep. Early to bed, early to rise. Now, if any of you struggle with sleep, um, at the end of this presentation, I'm going to put my email. Um, You can feel free to email me if you want the presentation slides, if you want more resources, I can't cover everything, um, but I work at Beautiful Minds Medical. It's a faith-based clinic, Adventist clinic in Northern California, but we have different handouts. You can ask me. There's a great sleep handout for how to change your sleep hygiene. Deep breathing. How many of you here practice deep breathing on a regular basis? Okay, my hope is that all of you start doing it because deep breathing is the number one skill I teach my clients for anxiety and stress. So deep breathing, um, Spirit of Prophecy actually talks about deep breathing. Um, She talks way beyond her time. She says, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but she basically talks about how it improves the circulation of your blood. It helps also with exciting the appetite. It invigorates the whole system, promotes digestion. And then, you notice there in bold, soothes and tranquilizes the mind. What it actually does, it takes oxygen to the frontal lobe. 
it, it basically, um, with the limbic system, the motion centers relaxes the centers and overall has a soothing exercise and impact on the mind. She continues, she says, they impart to it a bright color, so to the um, blood, and send it a life-giving current. Do you want a life-giving current in your body? Right? A good respiration soothes the nerves, it stimulates the appetite and renders digestion more perfect. It induces sound, refreshing sleep. If you struggle with sleep, you can start engaging in deep breathing, and that will also help you with having a deeper quality of sleep. All right. Music. Someone mentioned good music before. Um, again, well, let me ask you all this. What is the best music for our minds? Classical. Classical. I thought you were going to say hymns. <laughs> uh, yes, classical music. Why? Because uh, I was told so. <laughs> Why? So what's fascinating is our heart sinks to the rate of music. So if I'm playing heavy beat music, what is my heart doing? It's stressing. It's having to pump more and more and more. So a lot of times we tell our kids, oh, don't listen to that music. Why? Because I said so. God's health principles have reasons. He designed the body. He knows it. So I have a lot of patients struggling with anxiety. One thing you can just simply change is your music. Your heart will sink. So then if you have classical music, now the classical music, what's most recommended is Baroque music because Baroque music is very orderly. There's some classical music that's not uh, composed in a way that's orderly and can still disrupt the rhythm of your body. So music is important. Good classical Baroque music helps regulate our emotions. Now, what do all successful weight loss programs have in common? Any ideas? Misery. <laughs> good, good response. <laughs> Other than misery. <laughs> Sustainability, okay, I heard it. Accountability, connection. You think about cancer support groups, you think about weight loss groups, you think about you know, certain gym programs. They're successful because of the element of connection. If I had to carry 50 pounds, right, that's heavy. But if I give her five pounds, I give her, I give her, I give different people, that makes my burden lighter. So connection is really important. The Bible highlights this. It says, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. It's like, I know you're going to neglect it. I know you're going to try to isolate. Let me tell you, don't neglect it as is the habit of some, but encourage one another. Galatians 6.2 says, share each other's burdens, and in this fulfill the law of Christ. Have you ever thought about that verse? Like, how is that fulfilling the law of Christ? I think about the law of Christ being the Ten Commandments. The law of Christ is connection, right? That's why you can sum up the law of Christ in connecting with God and connecting with others. Share each other's burdens. But what Satan tempts us is to say, on the top here, no one wants to hear your problems, right? Oh, you're going to burden someone. Nobody really understands. You're all alone because he wants you to isolate. If you look at animals, when an animal is trying to attack another animal, especially with a herd or what do they do? They separate him from the herd, knowing that he's vulnerable and weak. And yet as human beings, we act as if I got it. You need connection in order to overcome these behaviors. Mark 12, 31 talks about loving others as yourself, as yourself, right? 
connect with people. What do all successful addiction programs have in common? Groups, yes. Connection, but connection with God. AA programs, and now they're starting to stray away from that, but a big component to why they're so successful is connection with a higher power. So it's not just about connection with God, with others, it's also about connection with others. This is where different ways in which we communicate and connect with God is very important. So quoting promises, and now I don't mean this as a very simple, we sometimes just say, oh, and um, be anxious for nothing. No, quote it in a way that you're being intentional. So it says, be anxious for nothing, and then it gives you the solution. How are you anxious for nothing? Prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and the peace of God will surpass, that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So don't just quote it. Say, okay, God, you're telling me to pray, to dialogue with you, then you're telling me to have supplication, which means ask you of things, and then also praise you. Then engage in those things in that moment. Because sometimes we have empty scripture. We just apply it, we just say it, but we don't actually apply it. Scripture song. So if you think about deep breathing, singing, and scripture songs, you will combine the most powerful elements in one thing. So scripture songs, you have the scripture, that's powerful. You have the singing, and then you also have the deep breathing, because you deep breathe while you sing. So scripture songs are absolutely powerful. Nature, there's a lot of um, new research about forest bathing, how you can go out in forests and take in the forest as a way to improve your mental health, as well as prayer. Now step three um, is setting goals. Um, So for some, God will require you to make big immediate changes. I don't know. Secular psychology will say, only start small. Some of you, you may leave here and like, I'm going to change this, and you could do it, right? If God is requiring that for you, do it. Sometimes God requires small, doable steps, like training for a sports event, like a marathon, right? You don't just all of a sudden run 26 miles. You might start with one at a time. So I don't know what it is for you, um, but God will require you to make some changes. And you can start asking him, right, for the, the, the goals that he has, as well as the strength to follow that plan. Now, I know we only have a couple more minutes, so I'm gonna kind of rush past these next ones, but I included them knowing I probably won't get to them so that if anyone asks for my slides, you can have them in the slides. The secret of change is to focus all of your energy not on fighting the old, but on building the new. So Elijah, what's fascinating about the story of Elijah, it's a mental health story. And it talks about these very same principles. So these are principles are not from Katie. They're from God's word. So I'll just highlight them. Step one, remember we talked about replacing or stopping certain unhealthy behaviors. He was depressed because he isolated. He was in a cave. Darkness. We go into our room. I don't want to talk to anybody. He isolated. He had distrust of God's plans. He had fear. He had selfishness. Step two, and you can watch this on your own or read this for yourself. He then, God, had him increase his healthy behaviors. God's like, oh, sleep is important. You need to sleep. He's like, food is important. He gave him bread. He had him drink water. He had him exercise. He had to come out out of the cave into the sunlight. They're God's principles. Dr. Nedley likes to sometimes use this example and say, oh, God put him to the, through the depression recovery program. <laughs> uh, communion with God. And then step three Set goals. What are the next steps? He's like, what are you doing here? 
in the cave. He's like, no, we got to get going. What are the next steps? Following God's purpose and living selflessly. Now, I want to end with this story, the healing of the paralytic man. So I'm going to show you some, uh, some pictures, and I want you to kind of analyze these pictures and try to find what's the common theme in all these pictures, okay? So I'll show them to you a couple times. Look at these different pictures. What do you see are the common themes? So don't quite answer yet. Take a look, examine. What do you notice are similar in these pictures? Anyone want to respond? Friends are helping. Incorrect. <laughs> no, we'll come back to that. Yes. Okay. Faith that Jesus would heal. Always coming to Jesus. It's kind of a trick question, so I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> Sometimes I do this with kids and they're like, Jesus! I'm like, yes, Jesus is in all of them. Okay. Okay, so the answer is, in all of these pictures, the friends are cut out of the pictures. Okay, so let's go back to the other pictures. You notice, they're all cut out. I didn't do this. These are the pictures I found. You Google, you know, the paralytic man, and you see the focus is on Jesus and the man. Jesus and the man. Go back to these pictures. You notice all of them cut out the friends. Now, what's interesting is if you read this story... The story, let's actually turn there. So Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. It's found in the other uh, Matthew and Luke as well. But I just want to highlight in the last couple minutes we have together some key verses. Mark chapter 2, and we'll read verse 5. It says, When Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the friends, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. So the healing happened, why? Because of the faith of the friends. Not the faith of the paralytic man, the faith of the friends. And what's so fascinating about this story is, here's some more pictures. It talks about not just that the friends brought him, but it talks about the determination of the friends. The, it says, the verse starts, the, the story starts with saying they came and the, the room was packed, even to the very door, it says. Surrounded, Jesus was surrounded, and they're like, okay, we can't come through here. So what did they do? They climbed to the roof, which, think about for a second, carrying a heavy man up stairs, like, that's hard work. And then they don't just stop there, what do they do? They tear open the roof. These friends were determined. They're like, oh, sorry, you know, Jesus is a little busy. We'll come back later. No, they were determined. And then, not only that, but then they lowered him. That's even more muscle strength. They lowered him down. And if it wasn't for these friends, then he wouldn't have been healed. So what or whom can the healing be attributed to? We often reference Jesus. But Jesus, yes. But if without the friends, this miracle would have never happened. So some things to think about. The friends were aware of his condition. Are you aware of the people around you that are struggling with their mental health? Because if they weren't aware, they wouldn't have brought him. Are you aware of the problems? Friends having a friendship with the paralytic. Are you friends with people who are struggling? Sometimes we choose not to be. I don't want to deal with it. It's too much. Oh, that person that always has problems. I don't have time for it. Are you friends with people that need Jesus? Friends knew of Jesus and his healing power. 
Do you know? Because if they didn't know of Jesus, they wouldn't have brought him. Friends knew where Jesus was and where to find Jesus. Do you know where Jesus is? Are you pointing people to Jesus? The friends were willing to do the hard work. Are you willing to do the hard work? We think, oh, no, that's Jesus' job. Are you willing to bring people to Jesus? And so some questions for you to reflect on as we close. What can we do as a church, globally and locally, to improve our health behaviors? As Adventists, we often focus on physical health. But what can we do? What initiatives or what programs can we do in our churches or our schools to improve the behaviors that are impacting us for the better or for the worse? What are the unhealthy behaviors that you struggle with? Because we could try all these programs, but if we are not living examples, right, are these programs going to be effective? So ask yourself, what are the unhealthy behaviors that I struggle with? What are the healthy behaviors that you want to incorporate in your life? You say, oh, you know, I was really convicted. I need to get better sleep. I need to go to bed earlier. What is one step or one behavior you want to take today? You might say, oh, but Katie, we're at camp eating, right? No, you can start something today. Whether to help yourself personally or someone you know who is struggling. And I also want you to just consider, how, maybe right now I'm the paralytic. I need help. How can I reach out to other people? How can they help me share each other's burdens? Or you might say, God, I've been blessed, and right now I want to be that friend. How can I be used? How can I be determined to bring someone to Jesus? So we're going we're gonna to pray in a little bit, but I just also wanted to um, reference this. My email's at the bottom if you want the slides. You can email me if you want um, any other resources. And then also, uh, my sister and I, my sister is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and we have a YouTube channel called Mana Ministry in which we cover mental health principles like I covered today, um, but from a biblical perspective. So not just mental health, but from using the Bible as our manual. Uh, we're also on Audioverse, so some people prefer audio than video. Um, and then also Beautiful Minds has a podcast called The Brain People Podcast. So um, extra resources, and I'll continue to put this slide up throughout our series, but just for those who were asking, couldn't wait to the end. So, all right, let's close with a word of prayer, and I'll let some people are still taking pictures. So, all right. It'll be here after we pray, so let's pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, God, we are so grateful to serve and love a God of love, a God that cares so deeply for us, and a God that's given us these principles to follow. Forgive us for often viewing you as a a God of control, a God of rules, um, instead of a Heavenly Father that wants only good things for his children. We pray that um, as we all have been convicted in different ways, um, we pray that you may, and your spirit may help us Um, truly fulfilled those convictions, whether for us personally or for those in our lives. So please be with us throughout today until we meet again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.